It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. Hi, everybody. This is the Mixed Remixed Festival podcast, and today we're doing another online book club discussion. We've been having so much fun with this. So today is another book club discussion. Today we're talking about Matt DeLapena's Mexican White Boy. And I should introduce myself. My name is Heidi Durow. I'm the founder of the festival, and I am your lone discussion leader today. Unfortunately, Jamie Moore, who was our literary director, who usually is such a great conversationalist about books because she's learned and smart and just has a really great eye for images and words and literature and vision, she is unable to uh, join us today. So this is kind of going to be a little bit free form. Um, This is kind of a last minute improv at this point. So bear with me if I just totally go off the rails. And if you're happening to listen live right now, send in as many questions and comments as you'd like. I'll I'll read your questions and I'll read your comments and uh, try to engage with that. So if you're listening to this as a recording, this may sound very strange to you because of this strange format where I'm in conversation with myself. And also, forgive me for the nasal sound. I have a little bit of a of a fall cold that I'm just getting over uh, today. I think I'm getting over it and not getting into it. Uh, in any event, we don't have any new announcements about the festival right now, uh, but we are continuing to try to figure out how we can connect as a community for more than just one day or one weekend per year. And this was the one of the strategies we came up with. Uh, we're trying to figure out what's the next step. So to that end, we've done some grant writing because, of course, next steps require money. And that's where you come in because we are a 501c3 nonprofit. We are an all-volunteer effort. None of us gets paid to put this thing together ever at all. Uh, and a lot of expenses actually come out of our own pockets. Uh, we put all the money we can uh, raise through sponsorships through grant proposals, through t-shirt sales. You can go get your t-shirt on the Mixed Remixed website, mixedremix.org. It's a very, very fancy, fabulous t-shirt. And uh, also just from donations from people like you who want to make sure that you have a homecoming every year somewhere, a place where you can go where your family feels like no one is doing the math on how you all fit together. You know what I mean? So uh, if you'd like to donate, you can also do that easily just by going to the website at www.mixremix.org and click Donate. We very much appreciate your support. So I guess with that, I get to talk about this really great book by myself. Now, uh, Mexican White Boy was written by Matt De La Pena in 2000. Eight? Is that right? Now I'm getting the, the dates wrong because I don't have it right in front of me. So it's coming up or 
it's coming up on a 10-year anniversary, but I dare say that it's holding up quite well. Why did we pick this book? Well, one, we like to diversify the experiences that we're talking about that are part of the mixed experience to make sure that we all remember that there is not one story about mixed race people or families or experience that we also have an incredible diversity of experience in the world. And also trying to balance between male and female authors and different ethnicities. And uh, always we're trying to pick a wonderful book, which I know we did this time again. But in particular, we picked Mexican White Boy because we recognize that this is the age at which, you know, this young adult puberty age is when people often come up against this idea of feeling like they have to figure out what they are. This is when they start getting that uh, question all the time, what are you? And we know it's a young adult novel, but it's also a very well-written novel by a, a talented writer. And we were hoping that it might be a great bridge for you all, whether you're young adults or 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 you know early early age adults and wanted to be able to share this kind of story with your parent. So here's where I kind of entered with the story. I was really interested in as a writer myself and a, a writer of a book that some uh, use as a young adult novel, although it was not written as a young adult novel. It has a young adult uh, narrator in part. I wanted to know how does Matt De La Pena explore the idea of mixedness from the parent's perspective. So we get a re- we get a diverse uh, way of looking at this because we have not just one <laughs> mixie in this book. We have Danny, who is the Mexican white boy, but we also have Uno, who is Mexican and black. And we actually get a chance to uh, learn how the parents experience their children's race which I thought was so fascinating. And, and maybe if you're out there and listening and had some thoughts on this too, I'd love to hear from you. I was really um, taken by the way that Uno's dad is portrayed. So he's the, the black father. Uno's mother is Mexican. And he is dealing obviously with a past of, uh, how do I say it? of having, you know, made some poor choices of, of, you know, being involved in at least quasi-criminal enterprises or or uh, quasi-underground enterprises that maybe he shouldn't have been in and are not necessarily healthy ways of functioning in the world if you want to stay out of jail. And um, he actually turns things around and and what he sees as Uno's difference is something that is more spiritual. Like the thing that is going to get him saved is actually being saved. And he doesn't seem to have any emphasis whatsoever on what Uno's race is. Uh, He doesn't, or his culture, he doesn't seem to have any kind of uh, disconnect with his son, even though his son is bilingual and is living this other different life than he grew up with, at least as far as we can tell. And then the parent, and then the mother, of course, just seems very disconnected and 
also, she doesn't seem to see race. Like, I'm always interested this, in this in parents who are interracially married and have interracial kids. Like, they, they really have not mapped out in some, you know, in some relationships what race is going to mean for their kids. And maybe that's changing. And, I, and of course, I see that changing with people who come to the festival who are investigating this question. But these two parents of Uno seem so typical to me of the, the parents I knew in my generation. Of course, he's, you know, Matt De La Pena is writing about the generation that I kind of grew up in. Uh, maybe, maybe he's a little younger than me, but, but basically around the same time. Uh, and then you contrast that also with uh, Danny's parents. His mother is white and his father is Mexican. His father seems very connected to his Mexican identity and culture, and yet he doesn't transmit it to his son. And and by that I mean he has the family living away from uh, a Mexican community and definitely away from his own family. He hasn't passed on Spanish as a language for his son. Uh, And then ultimately, unfortunately, I'm trying not to give away too many spoilers, but maybe maybe I will have to since this is a book club discussion. But he goes away, and then he's not able to be a conduit for culture for the kids. For me, this was very frustrating to read in that way, just because I wanted so desperately for the parents to recognize the difficulty that this kid was having. And now what you're hearing really is just me, you know, going through my own psychoanalysis of saying, why didn't these parents have a language that resonated with Danny or even Uno about this idea of being mixed and having a mixed experience and, and, trying to engage them in that conversation. I found that super frustrating, but very true to life and really interesting. In, I was very, very interested in the all the different ways they each of the four parents there avoided uh, or eluded or just passed over. That was the wrong word to use, wasn't it? Passed over this idea of uh, race and racial identity in their own families and and couldn't even recognize the struggles that the kids were going through because of these things. And so that was very interesting, too. One of the things that we don't hear about, ultimately, is uh, Liberty, who is also mixed race. But we don't ever uh, get the sense either that her parents have dealt with this question because here she is in in the States and she hasn't learned English and although she is learning English, but, you know, the the parents are suspiciously silent about these things. And it is definitely a reflection of that time. And I think, I hope it actually is changing at this point. Um, I'm not sure. So there's that. The other thing that I was really struck with about this book was the tenderness of these characters. Now, this is a book about boys, really, right? It's about the coming-of-age story or stories of two young boys. And uh, not just young boys, but, you know, young boys who are growing up in a really difficult neighborhood 
Uh, they're growing up in poverty. Um, and they're athletes. They're very physical, physical guys. And they're talking about that. And they're starting to uh, come into their own sexuality and learning about girls and <laughs> what they like. But there was something so beautifully tender about both of these characters. Now, obviously, Danny, we know, is a very uh, tender, and I'm not going to use the word soft. I'm going to say he's a tender guy. You know, he's introspective. He barely speaks. Uh, he's he's not shy. He's an observer. He's not a, a person who commits to conversation first, and he is the, the reluctant one which, of course, changes over the course of the, the novel. Thank goodness we see him uh, grow in this way. And uh, he's struggling with, you know, what is really a, a, a mental illness, I think. It's, it's a, a difficulty, at least, where he is not cutting himself, but he is doing uh, self-harm by doing the scratching into his arm until he hurts himself and he bleeds and you know, I hadn't read anything like this about boys. And it just made me think about my own family and the ways in which, excuse me, this is the cold coming on. It made me think of my own family and the ways in which I feel like I may have had a chance to talk about these issues of feeling confused about identity because not because of who uh, I was but because of who people expected me to be and when I look back and I think about you know my brothers at the same time they also like these young men had to take these poses of hyper masculinity these you know take on these ideas and images of masculinity just to get through the day there really was I think, little chance for them to be able to uh, be as tender as these characters were on a daily basis. Well, certainly not to let anyone know that they were this tender, right? And so it was lovely to be able to get under that armor that I think especially, um, especially, I'm doing, you know, all these superlatives. I don't mean to do that. But I'm thinking about my own experience, and then I'm thinking about, you know, how it was not that. So feel free to disagree with is it more or less or whatever. But, you know, there is something particular about being a male in American society and not being able to have the tender part of you show. And the tender part is most definitely that part of not being able to express all of who you are um, how you belong and how you're connected and how you feel disconnected, whether it's because you're missing um, part of your family's language or whatever it is. So I, I just really loved these two characters, Uno and Danny, in that way too. Uh, not because their their experiences were so different than other experiences, but because I felt like, yeah, of course, you know, of course, boys also are feeling this way too. And I felt like Matt De La Pena just really got to some really great uh, pieces to it. Now, I want to just make sure that you guys know that we also are trying to keep ourselves together 
you know, in the weeks before we do these online book club discussions that are available on iTunes after the recording. So you can definitely go back and listen to other episodes as well. But I wanted to make sure you also knew that we have this group over on Goodreads where you can leave comments or questions. <laughs> we haven't had much participation uh, as of late, but I did want to say hi to Finna. Oh, I hope I said that right. Or Fina. Uh, I don't know if you were able to listen in today, but hello, and I hope you enjoyed the book. And also I wanted to say hey to Tippy, who just found us this month and uh, was really excited to read the book. So Tippy, I'm glad you found us and uh, make sure that you share any questions that you have. All right, so there were some quotes in the book that I thought I'd share. And, you know, this was, gosh, it just resonated so, so much for me. In Chapter 3, this is uh, talking about Danny. It says, nobody paid him any attention anyway because he was Mexican. He roamed the school halls with his head down like a ghost drifted in and out of classrooms without a peep. Nobody even saw him as a real person. But down here, where everybody's skin is dark, everybody seems to be coming at him. Man, I have to tell you, I just was like, this is kind of one of the main dilemmas of being mixed race growing up sometimes, where you feel like you're totally invisible, and then you're hyper-invisible, right? Like, there's no mediating moment. You're like a ghost you're you're invisible or you're just all your body and that's all you are uh i felt like matt just totally captured that so well in that quote uh it was just like okay well he's speaking the truth right here (laughs) and and then i was really interested also in the way he says i came here because Sometimes I feel like a fake Mexican and I don't want to be a fake. I want to be real. Really, again, resonates with this idea. Um, And for me, and now I'm sounding silly, I'm going to quote myself from my own book. But for me, uh, you know, the, the emotional touchstone of the character Rachel and the girl who fell from the sky is really about this idea of she felt like she was, a something that she made up before that was a collection of likes and dislikes and happy and maybe some not so happy memories. And then she came to America and was recognized as a light skinned black person. And suddenly she's like, okay, never mind. I don't want to be anything. Right. So we <laughs> vacillate between invisibility and everything and wanting to be nothing and being totally seen just, Very classic mixed race experience, uh, definitely. So I'm trying to figure out if I have any questions here from all of you. Um, But then we also had some other questions that we wanted to look at from different book clubs that have tackled this piece uh, of literature. And I think we have talked about this a little bit today, but... The question is, why does Danny dig into his skin with his fingernails? How does the pain make him feel real? How did Danny's mom and uncles react when they realize what he is doing? How could they have helped him? Yeah, that's so hard. Um, You know, it's 
it's like the skin he's in has messed him up because he's not the right color to be with anyone and he doesn't have the right sounds coming out of him and you know my take on it is that he does this to be able to feel something right like he he has to he he recognizes that he's disconnected but he desperately wants to connect and how can he know that he's done it like how how does he have a good result i mean obviously this is not the right way to do it um but yeah it just feels very true like a feels like a very true experience so um the other question was about the relationship between the fathers and sons which is examined through uno and his father and danny and his father how are the boys' relationships with their fathers different? How are they the same? Does either Uno or Danny come to accept their relationships with their fathers? You know, I feel like they have very similar experiences uh, around their fathers in that they've idealized these figures who are um, at least in part absent from their lives. You know, it's inter- you know, when I think about this, I, I also think about the fact that the book is a little bit harder on the moms than the dads. You know, the moms also are kind of absent in these ways, but the moms, they don't come off as complex as the dads do. You know, what is what's that about? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I'm just starting to think about it now. It, it's very interesting. You know, you have Uno's mom who's obviously right there, but is uh, very much enthralled to and pays attention to the new boyfriend whose name escapes me right now. And then you have Danny's mom who is actually absent. Like she's absented herself from his life for the summer. And, you know, that's, how what it makes me think about is what is the role of the opposite sex parents uh, in in the characters in the child the mixed race child's upbringing you know how essential is that and what does it mean if that parent uh, looks you don't look as physically like that parent uh, I don't know the answer to that question so. Can you tell I've exhausted myself by talking myself out? There there were a couple of other things I just wanted to bring up really briefly. And I don't know that I can find uh, the clips just easily right now. But maybe you guys, and, and now please send in any other questions you have about Mexican White Boy. I hope we, you enjoyed the book. We will actually send out a newsletter to let everyone know when the next uh, discussion is, and it will also uh, let you know what the next book is. Before we move on, actually, we have a question from Happy Tippy. Uh, hi, Happy Tippy. The question is, what do you think about how he associates negative things such as poverty, getting in trouble at school, or not getting good grades with being more Mexican or fitting in with his family more? You know, I found it very problematic because those are stereotypes, right? 
And one of the things that is so frustrating in this day and age is that people are still clinging to these ideas. But at the same time, I think as a reader, I had to recognize that he also saw in his Mexicanness uh, authenticity, uh, comfort, love. It felt like home to him. So he has a very he does have a very complicated relationship with what being Mexican means. Because yes, I do believe he associates all those negative things with being Mexican, but he also has uh, an equal number and, and maybe equally or even more important things that he associates that are good with being Mexican and, and in fact wants to be more like that. So there is this real struggle. I see it, you know, in my own life too. Uh, my niece who, you know, has certain ideas about, you know, what a certain cultures mean, even though she can see in her own family that is very mixed that those things are not really true. I think it has a lot to do just with puberty where you just have to start making divisions and making choices. And also that, you know, I think childhood is just the worst place to grow up. It's just so, it's so uh, frightening and wild. And it's not like Danny's getting these messages from his parents, right? He has gotten these messages somehow from the media but also from other kids. I remember growing up and learning about race and what it was to be quote unquote black, whatever that means now, or even then from other kids who were my age. And what they knew was what they had seen uh, on TV to call it black. And then they knew whatever silences that they'd had in their own families. And then they just filled stuff in. Uh, it's a really dangerous thing. But this question actually leads me to something that I wanted to think about some more. And I'm, unfortunately, I hadn't planned to talk about this because I hadn't planned to you know, hold forth for so long. But I saw a tweet yesterday about how a woman who was, I don't, I don't know, I actually don't know what she was. Maybe she's African-American. Maybe she's mixed race, African-American. And, um, but she went on a long <laughs> diatribe about how YA authors who were writing mixed race characters kind of held them up as paragons of experience. And it really bugged me because I, I don't think that me- Mexican white boy fits in that. I don't think that other YA books that address this issue necessarily fit into it um, but you, you tell me. We'd love to hear from you. You can write me at Heidi at MixedRemix.org, and I'd love to know more. And then uh, if we don't have any more questions, I did want to point you guys to one other thing. So if you've watched the news at all or any of the talk shows, uh, political or otherwise, you would see uh ta Coates uh, on talking about his new book. So ta Coates is really brilliant uh young writer. He won a MacArthur Genius Grant last year. He's written a few books, and um, he's a very wonderfully articulate speaker about race 
and culture. And uh, he's on the book tour circuit talking about the ideas in his book about race and whiteness and the legacy of Barack Obama. It's just interesting stuff. I haven't read the book yet, but many of the uh, pieces in the book are pieces that he wrote for The Atlantic, which I've read. And then there's kind of a counterpoint piece by a man named Thomas Chatterton Williams, who's mixed race, uh, black and white. I believe he still lives overseas at this point. I had a chance to interview him about a year and a half ago on my own personal podcast. And uh, it's in the New York Times. I'd love to hear what you guys think about this. Because some of the pushback on what Thomas wrote, well, (laughs) one bad thing is that Richard Spencer liked it. but, But the other thing is that there was some pushback about Thomas's ability to, or um, going to get the words wrong, but his his reason to uh, write about whiteness from his position as a biracial writer. So check that out. And then the last thing I wanted to mention: these are all things on my mind. They're not necessarily related to the festival, but. Uh, I, I will be exploring them on my personal podcast where I can give you more personal opinions. Uh, there is a podcast called Still Processing by two wonderful culture writers from the New York Times. And they have done their first podcast, I, I think after they've been in business for about a year, about being biracial. And I think uh, w- one of them is mixed, black, white. I'm not sure if the other co-host is uh, first generation mixed or has a mixed family uh, but anyway is someone who is interested in that topic and I just want to know what your thoughts are on that whole exchange because I'm not sure what mine are yet I felt a little frustrated after I listened to it so that's your homework <laughs> until the next time we get together which will be probably at the end near the end of November, so right before the holidays, and we will get out that book recommendation to you as soon as we can. We've narrowed it down to a couple, but we want to make sure it doesn't have too many pages, and it's a great read and kind of fits our diversity mold for next time. So thank you so much for joining me today. I hope you'll tune in again next month. Again, uh, if you want to get updates from the festival, you can sign up for our newsletter at mixedremixed.org. And you can always follow us on social media at mixedremixed on Twitter, on Facebook, and on Instagram. Uh, I am really, really glad that I'm able to connect with you guys and we can share these stories. This is really awesome for me. My name is Heidi DeRoe, and I will talk to you next time. Thanks, guys. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.